<laughs> yeah. Everybody stand. If you were here yesterday, you'd understand. <laughs> Good to see everyone. Uh, thank you so very much for the invitation uh, to come and to hang out with all your teens. I, I just really appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if you saw me this morning, but I was actually on my phone during the assembly. All right. What's this guy doing? He just... We had a baptism back home, and one of the coolest things about technology is instant communication. Uh, and I was able to communicate with uh, the mom and everybody, and so it's just, it's neat, isn't it? It's neat. And I think, uh, hopefully, what uh, everybody got out of the past couple of days that we were talking about technology is it can be a wonderful blessing, so let's let it be a blessing. And don't let it be a curse. But I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to come and to be a part of this family in Christ. I appreciate so much all the hard work that goes into events like these. Uh, it's my privilege. I, I know there's so many, so many involved, but I always enjoy working with Stephen and Kirk and dealing with them. Uh, so you know what that means, don't you? Yeah. But they're, I love them and Richard for all that he does, building the slides and everything. It's just great. It was neat to hang out with Jordan and Jarrett. Appreciate you inviting them. But I just want to say, the real stars of the show that were powerful, powerful teachers indeed were Abby, Heather, and Hannah. And what they did with those girls and their communication and everything, that was wonderful. And so I appreciate the vision of this family in Christ, the way you put things together, the way you use those who are talented in service to the king. And I know I was enriched, and I hope all the kids were too, but thank you. Thank you for what you do. And I think you do know this. You have a lot of great teens here, don't you? You have a lot of great young people who love the Lord and want to serve the Lord and celebrate your victories. Celebrate the victories that the Lord has blessed us with. So thank you so very much. Now, having said all that, you're going to hate this sermon. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not kidding at all. This is one of those lessons. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, as soon as I get started and I share the title with you here in just a moment, you're going to go, really? I mean, are you serious? Really? That's the best you could come up with? And, and don't you know that I need something more to be uplifting? I mean, what in the world are you thinking? So I'm just going to prepare you for it right now. All right. In fact, you may even be thinking, why is this even in the Bible? Really? Because I'd like to talk to you about a subject of complaining. <laughs> Do all things without complaining. I don't know if you've ever looked at that passage. It's in Philippians chapter 2. It's shared by the Apostle Paul. And when I got into it and started studying it, I was like, did he really mean all things I mean, doesn't he understand what I'm paying for in gas right now? Does Paul not understand? Does he not understand the turmoil in Washington, the turmoil overseas? Does he not understand the challenges that we're having to deal with today? Did, did he really mean what he said? I, so I did a study of the word all, all right? Greek word study. You ready? The word all means all. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. Do all things, all things without complaining? In fact, Paul kind of piles on when he says it like this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Well, why is it? Why does God hate complaining so much? Why is Paul making such a big point when it comes to complaining? Well, first of all, I would suggest to you, the Lord knows that complaining destroys the complainer. You see, when you're always focused on yourself and your own problems instead of the good things and all the blessings that God has put into your life, it shows, if you will, a lack of trust in your heavenly Father, a lack of trust that He cares for you and is providing for you. And in some way, it not only hurts you, it hurts your relationship with the Father. And it gives bitterness, anger, an open door to come into your heart. Secondly, Complaining discourages other people. It's the idea that a grumbling spirit is going to spread quickly. You think back to the children of Israel. What was the word that was always mentioned of the children of Israel? I really thought that this was probably their real names. Instead of the children of Abraham or Jews, they were the murmurers. Murmuring. Mur I mean, can you use it? Murmur, murmur, murmur. You ever seen the uh, movie Finding Nemo? Remember the seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. Well, where are the children? Murmurs, murmurs. I mean, it's just if word fits, doesn't it? And it spreads. It spreads like a cancer. It spreads like a virus that can't be stopped because the grumbling spirit encourages others to grumble with them, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. Thirdly, it drains leaders. You think of the children of Israel and you think of poor Moses. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> parents, you ever been on a long road trip with a bunch of kids? Uh, Cheryl and I, we uh, were driving back home once when our kids were real little and I had just preached down and actually it was in Gainesville where we live now and we were getting ready to head home. So we hit this Sunny's barbecue and I said, all right, guys, I don't want us to, to have to wait and, and, and stop for a lot of miscellaneous things. So everybody get you a big drink and, uh, and we're going to just have one drink. We'll be ready to go. I, that was the worst idea I ever had in my life. We stopped at every rest stop and it wasn't just the kids. I was like, in the complaining and the whining, it comes from the back seat. Can you imagine being Moses? You have a million plus whiners and complainers in the back seat. It drains leaders. It, it, it drains those that have been called to service. It drains those who are doing all they can to lead and care for our souls. And it's like the writer of Hebrews will tell us, let them do it with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And then fourthly, a complaining spirit actually discredits the gospel of Christ. It not just shows a lack of trust on the part of the complainer, but it, it shares a message to the world. It, it's, it's so interesting. This very morning, this very morning, I went to a Starbucks. I had to get my fix, you know. And I had gone in there just to go over my lesson. And have you ever been in a place that's not a very big room and the person who thinks they're whispering is not whispering at all? So in the corner was his two guys and they were talking and he was actually on the phone. 
I don't know why it is when we're on a phone sometimes, and I'm the worst about this, I feel I've got to speak loud enough so that they can hear me in the next corner. Failing to understand, it amplifies your voice. So you talk loud, anybody do that? You're a talk louder. So this guy's on the phone, he goes, I don't know what you're thinking. You should be at church. I went, oh, it's a church going guy. And I don't know what you're thinking about hanging out with those people. You should be here. And I'm just like, oh my word. This guy's a church going guy. And it's, it's, he's trying to work with somebody, but oh, it's not so You shouldn't be sleeping with her. Oh my word, here we go. And he's just real loud. And I'm like, oh man, I'm trying to study. And then he starts talking to his friend in the same voice. And he was complaining about people that were wanting to be baptized. Like, well, he believes in baptism. That's not too bad. And I was, okay. And he's going on and on and on. And then all of a sudden he dropped a code word that went, oh, he's one of us. He mentioned a school. And then he mentioned the name of, I was like, oh, man. I have no idea who it was. But I couldn't help but think, I get his feelings. I know his frustrations. I know how he feels, whatever his ministry role was. But not in Starbucks, man. What message is that share to the world when we're complaining about our brethren, when we're complaining about ministry, when we're complaining? I was just like, I've done that myself. It's a powerful force. And unfortunately, when it gets into our heart, we have failed to grasp the significance of really what it means to be one who is at peace in Christ. If you have the Heavenly Library with you, I want you to go to the book of Philippians. Take it down, and let's go to Philippians chapter 2, and we find the Apostle Paul sharing a message, and his message isn't really focused on complaining. He's going to get there, and he's going to get to that, and as if this is the first big application to his bigger point, but he wants us to see and understand the mind of Christ, and I don't know if complaining was a big issue in Philippi. Well, you look over in chapter 4, and there was certainly a conflict going on within the church between some few brethren. But, but what we, I think we can acknowledge is that complaining is a challenge for all of us. And one of the biggest challenges that I have is when am I just stating a point and when am I complaining? When am I making an observation and when have I slipped over to the dark side? You know what I'm saying? There's kind of a fine line there, right? But I want you to see the context of all of this. So instead of beginning in verse 14, if you'll allow me, let's go to the beginning of the chapter. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, if there's any at all, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Therefore, since you know the mind of Christ, therefore, since you see your Lord, therefore, since you understand your King, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, did, did you catch what he was doing there? He, he's kind of one of those teachers that wants to get to a big point. But before he does, he tells you a little story or he tells you and shares with you a powerful example. I get the impression Paul really wanted to get to this point about grumbling. I get the impression he really wanted to get to this idea of shining his lights in the world and how it works. But before I get there, let me tell you about Jesus. Get your mind off yourself. Get your mind off the challenges of this world. Get your mind focused on how you can be an aid to others just like your Lord Jesus was, and even esteem others better than yourself, more important than yourself. And so he harps on Jesus. I, I'm not going to spend all my time here really focusing on verses 1 through 11. They're great verses, but I, I want to just sum it up like this, okay? You ever really just thought about the humility of Jesus? Just his humility. He could have come down to earth in any form he wanted. He could have come down like an angel. You know, that powerful angel that went in and whooped on the Assyrians? That'd have been a good form. I don't like that. He could have come in as a commander, as a general. He could have come in as an authoritative figure, but he came in as a simple man in poverty. Any form you want? And you chose that, and, and you grew up in Nazareth. Oh. <laughs> I actually had somebody mention this to me this morning. Uh, that's where you probably said Lubbock. They went, oh, Lubbock. You mean y'all don't vacation in Lubbock, Texas? What's wrong with you people? I, I grew up there. I thought it was great. I, I would almost get offended every time somebody would come into town and, you know, that's my home. This is great. And they'd come in and they'd say, this place is so flat. I'm like, what? It's all brown. What? What's, this place is ugly. I'm like, what is wrong with you? you get out of here. It's my home. I, I've been away for many, many years, and I was flying back into town last week and I, or uh, last year, and I flew in, and I went, oh, man, this place is flat. It is brown. But it was a great place to grow up. Nazareth? 
You, you, you can be raised and reared anywhere and you choose Nazareth? Your parents are impoverished. In fact, they're so poor that when they dedicate him at the temple, this glorious, wonderful birth, these two parents who are now parents for the first time, they don't even have the proper sacrifices and they have to use birds because there was a provision in the law for those that were birds. That's all you got? In fact, he would spend his whole life with this, this motto, the son of man has no place even to wear. Lay his head, that's how poor he was. He, 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 he comes in and he has a trade, not just a powerful trade. No, his trade is that as a carpenter. Have you ever thought about what it was like being a carpenter in that day and age? Have you ever thought about what it was like? Everything, everything, everything in the village had wood in it. The yoke for the oxen, the framing for the house. Every, Jesus, you're the carpenter. Jesus, level my table. Jesus, fix this oxen. Uh, oh, Jesus, fix this. Jesus, this. every day, every day. He's working with his hands, going everywhere, doing everybody's bidding. He was one who was a servant the whole time and he didn't make a lot of money at it at all. And then he goes into ministry. And he gets fishermen. No, no offense to those of you who fish. But man, you guys stink sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Your hands working there. and I mean, that's... They weren't the smartest knives in the drawer. No, they were just Galileans. And then when he started serving people, they got mad at him. <laughs> I just fed you yesterday and you're back for more today. Seriously? I'm trying to offer you more than that. Oh, well, that's all you got. We're out of here. Really? Then they eventually haul him before Pilate and shout for his death. And through all the taunts, through all the complaining, through all the hatred, even through all the agony, he never once complains. It's powerful, isn't it? And then Paul says this to us. So you, knowing who your Lord is, so you work out your own salvation. He's not saying save yourself. He's saying, now it's our role to be like Jesus. To allow the heavenly father to work in us. And so how is he going to do that? How is he going to work in us? Well, he's going to work in us through our spirit. And he's going to work through us in our words. And he's going to work through us in what we don't do. We don't complain. It literally means when you look at the word complainer or murmurer here or grumbler here, it is one who is discontented with their lot in life. Uh, the English Standard Version used grumbling. You have the King James Version, it uses murmuring. Some of your Bibles will use complaining. And, and what you'll find is complaining is certainly not a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Quite the opposite. Because complaining is detrimental to peace, love, joy, self-control, patience, and everything in that list. And yet, here's what it also suggests. It suggests a secretive nature because it generally lies in the shadows. Rarely, rarely does somebody go up into a large crowd and go, I can't take it anymore. You people are driving me crazy. 
We get off in a corner and we find somebody and we say, these people are driving me crazy and I'm so aggravated here and then that person gets on our side and then they go get somebody else and so it kind of grows in secret, right? Isn't that really how it works? It also implies a disputing spirit. The inward reasoning of a man who is arguing in himself all the time. Anybody here have a frustrated uh, nighttime routine where you can't get your mind to shut up? That inward reasoning. I could go to sleep if I could shut up. That's what it implies. And so it's stirring. It's stirring. It's gone beyond just informative. It's gone beyond just encouraging or looking for a better way. It's gone to a dark place. And so here's what Paul says to us. We're going to refuse to complain. And he's going to give us, he's going to give us here just a few reasons why we refuse to complain. I'm going to show you three in the text. Number one, why should I refuse to complain? Number one, because of who I am. I am a child of God. And if you go back in the text and go back to verse one and read through all this, look at the emphasis that is constantly put on God, the form of God, equality with God, exalted by God, the glory of God. Verse 13, it is God who works in you. I refuse to complain and I'm going to refuse to go to that dark side because I want to show my Lord that I'm letting him live in me and I desire to be blameless, free from fault, which even means free from complaining. I want to be innocent. I am free from the impurities and, and, and the challenges that can come with, with the, what the, the, the spirit of this world is trying to work in me. And I want to be one without blemish. I want to be God approved. And isn't the call of one who is to be Jesus' disciple, to be like their master? If he suffered, why shouldn't we? Uh, go back if you would look in the text here. Y'all don't lose me. Don't lose me here. Look in the text. Paul acknowledges that the generation is what? It's what? It's crooked. I'm going to tell you right now, this place is crooked. And it's not just crooked, it's twisted. Paul and just saying, hey, they just got to fill the daisies here. I don't know what you people are thinking. Goes, I'll tell you what this place is like. I just tell you, it's twisted. It is crooked. I see it all around me. That's what the world is. But what the world doesn't need is another critic. The world doesn't need another complainer. What the world needs is a contented soul who has wrapped themselves in the warm, secure blanket of their heavenly father that they trust in his will and they are confident that he is their God. And so here's what we're going to do next. With our confidence in knowing that we're children of God, we're going to be a light to the world. It's as if he says, remember your calling. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to our days in Bible class as a kid. Did anybody else, when you were studying about the children of Israel, say, come on, people. I mean, you just walked across a Red Sea on dry ground. You saw all those plagues in Egypt and they didn't happen to you. You get out in the wilderness and bread just falls from heaven. I mean, how cool would that be? Hey, honey, we got to dinner tonight. Sure, let's go out. <laughs> I'm a quail hunter. I love to go quail hunting. I mean, slapping them. I mean, 
You, you don't even have to use, you ever bite your quail and get a buckshot in it? Actually, I'm pretty proud of that. You know, I got him. Yeah, I know. I actually had this happen one time. I went hunting with a bunch of guys and, and, and this quail was probably already delusional. It was probably already in the loony farm because when it flew up, it just came right at me. And I didn't even have time to really get my gun fully in my shoulder. So I, boom, I just hit it with the gun and knocked it down. I said, that's one dumb bird. But I'm kind of proud of myself. Most of the time, my buddies would say if a bird fell from the ground, it just saw Phil because he's so ugly and he had a heart attack. Maybe that's what happened to that bird. I don't care. I got him. I can't imagine knocking him out. This is great. But they weren't happy, were they, right? And I realized it was a wilderness, probably not the most picturesque postcard chamber of commerce place. But every step of the way, God provided for them. Why are you people complaining? Right? Isn't that right? In John chapter 4, Jesus says, I give you water so you'll never thirst again. In John chapter 6, I'll give you bread from heaven, the real manna. You'll never be hungry again. You ever just sat back and realized all the wonderful provisions that we have in the Lord? Our provisions just like the ones provided to the children of Israel in the wilderness but they're even better. And we're offered a promised land that we don't deserve. And he frees us from slavery that we willingly walked into. How could I complain? How can I look at the wilderness around me and go, oh man, where's God? So what I'll choose to do is be a light to this world. I'll say to my brethren, I'll say to those around me, do you see this bread? Have you drunk of this water? Because the world needs a light. The world needs somebody different. The world doesn't need another complainer. Think about it. Think about it. Just really think about it. Over the past two years, I'll admit, it's been twisted. It's been crooked. Everybody sees it. I don't have to announce it. I don't have to amplify it. Everybody knows. And it's been a golden opportunity for the children of God to show the world what peace really looks like. Yeah, it's not that great, but I'm good. Yeah, the prices are going up, but I'm rich. Let me tell you what I got. Why I can walk through this and not complain about it at all. A light set on a hill is different from everything else that's on the hill. Salt is different from everything else that needs flavor and preserving. 
In Isaiah 49 and in verse 6, the prophet says, Is it too light a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You know, I think back to the children of Israel going through the wilderness. (laughs) They should have been saying to everybody else, you know what? It ain't pretty, but my God's got me. This is so cool. Join me. Join me and I'll show you what peace looks like. Join me. And I'll show you where true joy comes from. Because thirdly, what Paul shows us in the text is we're not just lights of the world. We're not just children of God, but we're clinging tightly to some promises. We're clinging tightly to the word of God and we're holding it fast because we give great attention to its promises. We give great attention to its guidance. We give great attention to its hope. It's a word that's not only been presented to us, but it's a word that we get to share with others. I tell you, this, this, is one, this is one of the things I'm going to have to really talk to the Lord about when I get there, all right? And don't, don't misunderstand me. You chose me to be your mouthpiece? I mean, really? You're, you're going to let us speak for you? Is that really what you want to do? The Lord says, yeah. Because that's the most powerful way to get the message across. Those who have received the hope share the hope because they're clinging tightly to the word of God. Uh, Ellicott in his commentaries regarding this phrase, the word of life says, it signifies here, of course, the gospel of Christ. It signifies also that his disciples are willing to declare his words and to declare the eternal life that comes in him. And they are to declare that they in themselves are filled with this spirit of life. The word lives in them. That their truths have come in and they found a home. The word of life. I hope you figured out by now that true joy is never going to come out of Washington. Have y'all figured that out? True joy is not going to come from OPEC and how much oil is being generated or how much is not. True joy is never going to come from perfect circumstances. They don't exist. And even if they did, they would pale in comparison to the joy and the salvation and the redemption and the grace in Jesus. Because he's encouraging us to look beyond this. This world is not my home. I'm just passing Isn't that a great thought? So don't expect the world to be anything more than it is. Right? But show the world. Show the world what confidence and trust in Jesus looks like. So let me give you some quick take-homes. Real quick. I know you're hating this lesson, aren't you? It's like, really? Come on, man. Let me give you some real quick take-homes. Real quick, real quick. All right? 
Instead of grumble, 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 all right? Instead of grumble, 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 let's remind, let's shine, let's bind. Let's remind ourselves of who we are, the children of God. Let's shine as lights in the world and let's bind ourselves even closer to these truths. I'll tell you, here's what I do. Here's what I do when things get really hard. I squeeze it even tighter. I dig even deeper into it and I say, Lord, Lord, help me have more faith because that's what I need. And I do my best to every troubled soul who is complaining and looks to this world for peace to remind them of the joy that really comes in Christ. So here's what we're going to do. Here's the second thing. Now, this is important. If you got to complain, and we do need to complain, we can't hold it in. It's got to get out sometime. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Go and look at the Psalms and look at how many times the Psalms center around the psalmist lamenting to the Lord. Don't lament to your neighbor. Don't throw it all on your wife all the time. Don't throw it on your neighbor. Give it to the Lord. The Lord says, give it to me. I'll take it. I know what's going on. If you want to unleash it, if you want to let it all out, give it to me. Psalms 137, give me your sorrow. Psalms 140, give me your anger. Psalm 69, give me your fear. Psalms 85, give me your longing. Psalm 102, give me your confusion. Psalm 22, give me your desolation. Psalm 51, give me your need for repentance. Psalm 74, give me your disappointment. Psalms 88, give me your depression. In fact, David says, I give you my enemies. And if you want to cast them in shield, do it. Powerful Psalms. But take it to the one who can truly do something about it. You don't have to keep it all bottled up. But don't give it to your neighbor. The Lord says you can give it to me. All right, here's the third thing I want you to do. This one's important. You ever heard of a fast? You know what a fast is? Yeah? I'm going to let you eat. Eat all you want. That's not where I'm headed. It's going to complaining fast. Commit yourself to one full month, I know a month, of no complaining. You know, one of our families back home, when I suggested this, they decided to put a jar in the house, and they said, anybody who complains has to put 20 bucks in the jar. Oh, my word. All right, everybody, if you complain. And so there had to be a huge family meeting because everybody immediately said, okay, what if it's in information? How do I determine between information? Well, we'll just know the whole family will get the vote on it. Oh, I don't know if I like that rule at all. <laughs> but commit yourself. In fact, see if you can first of all make it through a day. It may be a week. What you'll find real quickly is, <laughs> man, Satan knows how to get us. I, I, I did this myself. I committed myself to no complaining. In fact, that's, that's, that's one of the things I try. I'm, I try to go the whole year. I'm trying to go, I don't oh know. I'm trying to go. And you know what I found myself complaining about? I, I didn't complain about government. I wasn't complaining about pandemic. I, I, wasn't, I was doing real good. But then I started complaining about complainers. Man, Satan's so good. But commit yourself to it. Anytime you're in a fast, 
You've devoted yourself to prayer too. Make sense? And then fourthly, let's just do what we can to do what the Lord wants us to do. And what we see in our Lord, he humbled himself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. I want you to notice that Paul's words about Jesus end with the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus didn't lift himself up. God did it. And I want you to hear this because this is a Bible promise. God lifts the humble. God lifts those who humble himself and themselves. He's looking for a servant heart. Not a complainer, not a pointer, but a doer. You know, it just may be that you've noticed somebody in your life who is a powerful example of what this is all about. Somebody maybe who is inflicted with a disease, given a prognosis that was horrible. Or, or you've seen somebody who's experienced great loss. They've lost those who were dear to them. And through it all, you couldn't help but notice, man, they never complained. You know somebody like that, don't you? It's powerful. It's different. It doesn't mean they don't have pain. It doesn't mean that their life isn't twisted and crooked in so many ways. But it was, what it does mean is they trusted in the one who said, I'll care for you, I'll provide for you. Our Lord Jesus is our source of peace. Peace is never going to come from anywhere else. Anywhere else. So quit looking for it and quit complaining about it. But the Prince of Peace is the one who brings a peace that surpasses all knowledge and understanding. It is a peace that helps us understand that our confidence is in the Lord and what we will have in that peace is the knowledge of knowing that we have a Savior. We have a Lord who has conquered all the great challenges of life. And he's inviting us to come be with him. This morning, if you want to know what peace is, if you want to know what joy is, I invite you to come to our Lord Jesus, who though being in the form of God, did not even count equality with God of something he really wanted or grasped for, but he took the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of death even the vicious death of a cross. Lord, you did that for me? Yeah. Yeah. For me?
because I want you to be with me for eternity in heaven. I'm taking you to a place that isn't twisted. It isn't crooked. Trust me. Hold my hand. I'll take you there. I'll wash your sins away. All of them. And the guilt. And you know what else I'll do if you'll let me? I'll let you become my light in this world. That you can show the world what that hope looks like. What that love looks like. Me? Yeah, you. If you need to come to him this morning, I invite you to come. I invite you to rejoice. I invite you to celebrate the one whose name is above every name so that you can humbly bow before him, the one who provides water and food even in the desert. If you're looking for peace this morning, Jesus is your peace. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?